And welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood, and with me this evening is my good friend and co-host, Chad Mitz. Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news. A week which saw me send a tweet to Chad Metz that prominently displayed a theory of his that he has had for quite some time. Chad, I'm glad that you enjoyed the Uncle Joe tweet, um, Grandpa Joe tweet. I know we all appreciated that. But I wanted to bring to your attention another character that deserves your wrath and irony. Uh, What character is that? Glinda, the Good Witch. Okay, so what's she do? She pops up at the beginning, and she pops up at the end, and in all of the bad stuff, she never pops up to fight the Wicked Witch of the West. She just lets Dorothy deal with it. She is, in fact, a coward. (laughs) Um, that is accurate. Um, even outside of all that, it seems like, you know, the Wicked Witch of the West has been terrorizing Oz for years. And neither her nor her sister put it into it. And it's only after. Well, that's right. It's two witches. So, but there's Glenda doesn't have a sister in, in the Wizard of Oz. I forgot. They don't do the, the four witches. They only do the three. So I guess it's not a fair fight. But Dorothy took out one. She could have took out, She could at least took out the other one. I just thought that was kind of hilarious and awesome. Yeah, I... I I've heard that uh, that Glenda thing a, a while before, but I don't watch the Wizard of Oz enough to to like really pay attention to it. Whereas Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is on in this house at least once a month, unfortunately. It is a glorious soundtrack. I, 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 I like the movie. I love the movie actually. I like the soundtrack. I just watch it too damn much, too damn much. And Grandpa Joe, it's the worst. So Chad. Marvel has put out a movie, and people have thoughts about said movie. And uh, we got Screaming Goats, we got Jane Foster, we got The Mighty Thor, we got The God Butcher, and we got Taika Waititi and all of his Taika Waititi-ness. Your thoughts, sir, on Thor, Love and Thunder, the third highest grossing movie of 2022 already, over 300 million million worldwide. So... I'm going to try to keep this just to the movie because I'm pretty sure we'll talk about everything else because I've seen uh, just with the release of this movie, I've seen basically lots of people predict the doom and gloom of Marvel in the future, but we can get to that. As for the movie itself, I think the movie is fun. I don't think the movie is for everyone. I think the movie can be obnoxious to probably a vast group of people. Um, it's fun that you've mentioned that the, the goats already, I think they're the litmus test. If the goats show up and after two times, of you seen them, you aren't sick of them. You'll like this movie. And surprisingly for me, they showed up and every time they showed up and we got the goat stick, which I knew was coming. I laughed. I could not help but laugh. And so I, I think if you if you can get past the ghost, if you are down with the ghosts, you'll like the movie. If they irk your nerves as soon as you see them, this movie is not going to be for you. Uh, overall, yeah, I, I think I think it's stronger in the back half. I, I have problems with the first half and we can get into that uh, later. But it it wants to do a lot of things and it wants to do a lot of things through the lens of comedy. And that might not be for everybody, it, but I find it enjoyable. I don't think it's, it is not my favorite of the Thor movies. Um, hell, Ragnarok's not my favorite of the Thor movies. I'm in the minority in that, that regard, but I think generally people should enjoy it. But it seems to be a tougher sell than I would have even thought. I mean, it's a tougher sell because, like, it is that first what would you say 45 minutes is just pure taika like the first the first 45 minutes feels like a straight up ragnarok sequel and then the back half of the film feels like an entirely different movie um and and that's a a kind of tonal clash that sometimes can work and sometimes doesn't 
I felt that it worked for me. I love this film uh, mainly because I, I love the big swings that it's taking. I love the big thematic relevant work that it's doing. I think I think we're in this phase or this this point of time where like people just want a rerun of Infinity War and Endgame. They want like a movie with the big bad and it and it all leads to this and this is where it's going and and now it's all boom and pop and you know battle for up of upstate New York and all the things. Um and that's not what they've been doing. They've been doing subtle character driven, mostly stuff about grief, as we've talked about on this podcast. And I don't think that that's necessarily what people thought they were buying into when they when they uh, got all hyped about Captain America picking up Thor's hammer and yelling Avengers assemble. So um, I love the movie because it talks about faith. I mean, the first good God, man, the the first 10 minutes of the movie are making your your lead villain majorly sympathetic because he is a man of deep conviction and faith who has that faith stripped away from him by the very God that he was worshiping. <laughs> you know, and this is all coming from a man who I, I'm pretty sure is near as agnostic or, or maybe even atheist, but like, like Taika, like Taika does a really deep meditative dive on faith and doubt. And then he does a whole meditation on the afterlife. How many times does the word Valhalla come up in this movie? Uh, even to the point where it's the post credit sting. Like, it's a movie about faith and doubt and what you do with the time that you're given here and what, and what matters. You know, and that's a deep, abiding thematic relevance that is awesome to see on a big screen. I mean, again, you're talking to somebody who's one of my favorite trilogies in all of film is the before trilogy, which is literally just three movies of two people talking. So like, I'm a different kind of dude. I like thematic work. And this is a really great thematic work. That's trying to say at least three or four different thematic things. Whereas Ragnarok is really only about home and what makes home home. Yeah, I, you know, in all of the criticism I've heard of the movie over the weekend of what I did see, I really didn't see anybody talk about those things, those the, the themes, particularly like everything about faith. Because, yeah, you're right. The beginning of it, the beginning of this movie, that's what this the the first 10 minutes, that's what everything is about. And I have not seen anybody really mention that and how that theme goes on. And I think that's because they get lost in um, in the rest of the movie. And I really think most of the, I think most of the disconnect is the the first third of the movie. Yeah, it's two movies. But it, see, I, I agree with that, but it never like it doesn't feel as disjointed to me. Like when everybody says it, I can see it. I feel I full well see it um, like the tone doesn't shift. So much for me. My deal with the beginning of the movie is um, because we're setting up so many things and the way Taika wants to do it, it feels like we get like a vignette, a vignette, a vignette. Then the movie starts. But but the movie starts in the second act because the first act is all just vignettes. Like if you could you could take all those separate scenes and if you were like promoting the movie or this was like a TV show leading up to the movie. You could have done each one of those. And then the movie starts. And then for me, the movie's all like one thing. Whereas just, it's just the structure of it and what he wants to do. It feels, it makes it all feel disjointed in the beginning for me. But a, a lot of people see that as really, really wacky stuff. And then you're dealing with all this other stuff on the back end. And that's the tonal shift. But I don't really see... I don't see the shifts in tones, but I can see where people say that. And see, this is why I love this podcast. And I love the fact that we can sit here and talk about these things because I didn't even think about the narration and uh, the structure of the, let me tell you a story about X, Y, or Z being a thing. Uh, but it certainly, certainly very truly is. Cause it, it's, you know, it's, let me tell you a story about, uh, you know, Thor, the the space Viking, 
And then let me tell you a story about this love, these, you know, Jane, you know, uh, Thor's love for Jane Foster. And Mm -hmm. then in the end, it's let me tell you the story of Mighty Thor. So like, and and all in between all that, you have the craziness of Russell Crowe, which we'll get into. And, (laughs) and you've got, uh, you've got the craziness of Russell Crowe and you've got the, the guardians and the crazy space chickens on motorbikes so like (laughs) it's it's a whole lot and it's a whole lot in a very quick manner because of the length of the movie uh but you're right there there is definitely something with the structure of the first half whereas compared with the structure of the second half feeling more like a normal movie quote unquote yeah yeah and um i don't like just thinking about those different telling the stories of a, a, a big chunk of that is telling the story of Thor and Jane Foster together. And that's kind of, it's like, it's like highlighting the, the, the flaws of the films that came before it, because while we got J- Thor and Jane Foster together, we never got them together. So for this story to have the meaning that it needs, it has to show them together. And that's more time taken away from telling the story you want to get to. Uh, so it, it wants to do because of the things it wants to do. It has the things it does at the beginning. I really, and I think that's like really what the breakdown is. If we had a better, um, if we had a better view of Thor and Jane before this movie, you don't need those scenes. Well, maybe you need the scene of, you know, the enchanting of the hammer, but you don't need the rest of it. And then you don't feel, then you don't get that, that feeling of incoherence, I guess. I mean, to me, the that montage is the most viscerally different thing in the movie, tonally for me, because that the Jane and Thor montage, the let me tell you a story about Thor and Jane, feels very much like an SNL skit <laughs> to me, almost in certain places. And that's different from the way the guardian stuff it's handled is different from the way the, uh, let me tell you about Jane Foster thing or the mighty Thor thing at the end is handled. Like it's handled in a, in a kind of bombastic over the top caricature of a love story kind of way that I felt was different. And it, and it kind of was uh, struck me as unusual, but it works because it conveys the point. And you're right. If you'd done, if you had laid the groundwork in the first two movies, this wouldn't be necessary. However, like, you know, Jane Foster is like mentioned t- for a total of three minutes in both Avengers movies, uh, Avengers one and Avengers two. And she is possessed by the uh, ether for the majority of dark world. So it's not like we've gotten a ton of time with those two. And she wasn't on set for, uh, for in uh, end game. She, they used old, they repurposed old footage of her, for that so i mean i don't know it, it was just like that tonally set felt like it was set apart to me it 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 very much was it's it's not like anything else in the, the movie but again you need it to get the payoff in the end so i mean let's let's talk about russell crowe because i need to talk about russell crowe <laughs> what is that accent sir what is that accent? <laughs> okay, so I don't know a lot of Greek people, but when I heard it, I'm like, this is an Italian accent, right? Yes, th- this is Marlon Brando in The Godfather. Yeah, it, this seems like Italian, like with a with a tad, just a bit of like a French flourish to it. Or an Aussie but flourish. I, yeah, it's like, I don't think the Greek people sound like this, but all right, if that's what you want, if, if this is the choice you made, I mean, we're, we're here now. Um, I mean, I thought it was ridiculous, but I thought it was also thought it was fun. He is having so much fun in that scene. Like the, the little holding of the tutu as he walks down the steps. I yeah. too hot. Uh, like the whole thing is just awesome. And I, I love the fact that he gets an action beat with Hemsworth that they there is a plot point for having them meet with the lightning bolt. Um, I like I like all of those things. I love the you know what the first thing I thought of when they went to Omnipian City was. What's that? Well, a 
that the Eternals were there. The, the Celestials were there in, in their actual form, which was good. Just chilling outside <laughs> because they're too tall to go inside. But, but they're there. And that there was a Celestial head that almost fell on some children. Um, so, like, congratulations, Eternals is canon, despite what the internet would have you believe. And and B, the first thing I thought of was episodes uh, one and two of Star Wars, where we go into the Senate chamber, and there are Ewoks, and there are E.T., and there's Jaws, and there's all kinds of older, minute character references squeezed into those Senate, those pods. And yet, it's a blink and you miss a cameo, right? But they're they're all there. And that's the same thing I thought of looking around at the 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 you know gathering of the gods so to speak um was looking around and seeing you know maybe there are some easter eggs here that like somebody's gonna get that like is gonna be posted on the internet somewhere but that's the, that's the first thing i thought of when they got into Opniampian city was like yeah there's some deep cut marvel references here i'm sure somebody's gonna get oh yeah i'm waiting for the screen grabs because there's yeah, it's it is very much like the Senate chamber in, in that it's so vast that they can hide all sorts of things in there. Uh, so, yeah, the screen grabs ought to be fun. Um, outside of Zeus in in that place, um, you know, it just I understood why they went there. And again, just for the, the Zeus factor of it all, I'm good with it, but. I can see where some people are like, so why is this? Why is this here? Yeah, they got the Thunderbolt, but really, why? Why is this place? Like, of of everything they did, like they this kind of felt like the place that they could have taken out and people wouldn't have known. Well, see, the thing for me, honestly, is I feel like it could have been Basil expositioned a little bit better, meaning like. Instead of the first thing Russell Crowe's character Zeus says is like, you know, where are we going to have the orgy this year? Like, instead of him saying where we're going to have the orgy this year, like have them have an actual conversation, bring everybody together to talk about the fact that there is an actual God Butcher on the loose and that they're calling this meeting together to figure out what they want to do about it. And if you want to have people stand up or have Zeus say, oh, it's. It it is nothing like he has killed a bunch of low level gods. It is okay. Like if you want to still have him say that, that's cool. But like at least that gives a reason for all of these gods to be together in one place without Gore like distinctly uh, going out of his way to go there and just lay waste to them all because they specifically say it's by invitation only. <laughs> so like. He, he, to me, you could have Basil exposition that a little bit better to where it was like they're scared of the God Butcher and they want to figure out how to stop him. And I think that would have made a little bit more sense um, for people and made it resonate with people a little bit more. I think exposition is right. I kind of like that they they treated it like a nothing, like they just completely ignored it because the way that the way this loose the way this Zeus plays, it kind of, it fits. It's like he's he is concerned, but he knows he's in a place where he can't be found, and he knows that um, Gore is in a place that he can't get to. So I'm just going to act like nothing's going on because if those two things stay the same, I have nothing to worry about, and none of you should have anything to worry about. So I. I guess I would have played it with the exposition coming from somebody outside of our hero group and Zeus, like somebody yelling like, yeah, we're here. Yeah, the orgy's all fine and good, but we're here because of this. And then Zeus being like, ah, nope, nope, we're not doing that. Something like that. But Was there an yeah, insurrection they, at the Capitol, Chad? There was no insurrection at the Capitol. Everything is fine. Yeah, there's nothing to see here. Oh, um, I... I think if we don't yes, talk about the thing that happened. The thing that happened isn't actually happening. We all know this, Chad. No, no. Who are you going to believe me? Who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes? That's the kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, ex some exposition to, to explain its importance beyond what Thor said, like give us something else to give it more concrete feeling that I think that's what would have played better for that scene. Um, uh, 
just in the moment. And also, like for me, the this the reason that the entire omnipotent city thing is important is um, because again, it resonates with the theme of faith and doubt. Like here is Hemsworth. Here, here, here is Thor, who has put all his time, energy, and effort into modeling himself after Zeus, of praising Zeus as this model god of talking him up and saying all these wonderful things about him and then he's sitting there and he's slowly realizing uh dude not so great and then and then dude he asked dude for help and dude says go away or i will hold you hostage so you can't help the other guy and then he realizes that like you can't always trust that the gods are going to do the right quote-unquote the right thing and it, mm-hmm. and it helps him to have a little bit because it pays off in that scene in the shadow world where Gore goes to him and says that you, you went to the gods and they did nothing. Right. Like it plays into the idea that Gore, you know, I need a need a mug, two mugs now. I need the Thanos was right mug and the Gore was right mug <laughs> because like that's that scene is him saying, you know, this is, you know, they, you went to the gods and they did nothing. Right. And he's like, yeah. And it makes him realize that maybe what some of what Gore is saying has some credibility in the audience, too. Mm-hmm. So I think it also yes. pays off in that respect. Yeah, I agree. Because it's like that whole thematic thing is also in biblical literature, right? Like there, there is the story of Baal and the prophets and the idea of, you know, you know, your God, my God can make it rain. And you're you pray to your God ceaselessly for 45 days and nothing happens. You know, that there's that that element of, you know, a vain uh, of uh, vain repetitious exercise when it comes to religious figures and where you put your faith and, and where that faith is justified. And I think that that's a beautiful thing for Gore, because in 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 um, Bale's portrayal of him, he's a man that is just. What allows him to be possessed by the sword is his brokenness, that his faith is so shattered and so broken in that moment where the deity is laughing at him and all of the deity's creations are laughing at him that it breaks his soul. And so he is open to receiving the sword um, because of the brokenness of his faith and um, Hemsworth and, and Thor suffers the same similar moment in you know, in the, in uh, Omnipian city with Zeus, Zeus is sitting in Zeus and all of his creation and all the other gods are laughing at him. They're laughing at this idea. And now they're doing it because they don't want to create a panic, but like still it's the idea that his faith has been broken too, but he chooses to still believe in something. Whereas Gore has chosen to believe in nothing until the love of Jane Foster and Thor Bloom's faith in him again. I'm I'm not going to be able to add anything better than what you just said. So I'm going to pivot to. Well, I mean, like, to, is that not like an accurate like? You don't get to the end without omnipotent city. No, you don't. You have you well. Eh, so the thunderbolt does play is important towards the end. Outside of that, you could have gotten the exposition of uh, eternity from anywhere else. So, so you do need to go because you do need that artifact. But it still feels like you could have gotten something else like that and some exposition and not have omnipotent city there. They they didn't really like they didn't make it absolutely essential to go there. Like at least in in my view, like. Yeah, those things are there. That information you needed was there. This tool that you could use is there. But it's not something that's like tied to I think they could have I think they could have come up with another tool that wasn't a Thunderbolt and gotten the information from somewhere else. There's nothing like intrinsically valuable about Omnipotent City. And that's my that's my only gripe with it. I think they could have done something to make it more valuable, but they didn't. And see, I think it's an extremely valuable because you Thor, it, like Zeus, is the most recognizable name of a god. 
He is the most recognizable, you know, standard God outside of the um, omnipresent God that people know. And so if you need Thor to meet his hero in order to have his faith broken the way that Gore met his hero and had his faith broken, then you need it to be Zeus. Because you can't have it be Socrates or, 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 or you can't have it be Apollo or you can't have it be Hades or you can't have it be X, Y, or Z Egyptian god. You can't have it be Mamnit, the, uh, the love hippo from, New, from Moon Knight. Like you, you have to have it be somebody universally recognizable to people as a god. And Lord knows there have been enough interpretations of Greek mythology over the decades to know who Zeus is. So you have Zeus there as the stand-in for the model god, and you have Thor as a hero worshiper there, and that's the only way that works. If you do it with any other god or any other stand-in for a god in any other place, it's not going to have the same impact. No, that is true. Um, see, this is what this is where uh, hearing these things makes me think of different things. I understand. So I get that. I get that view of it. Thor has to meet his hero to be disappointed by his hero. It's just from the the store, the Thor story we've gotten so far. I know that. Okay, I know a hero and a parent is typically two different things. You know, your parent can be your hero, but typically kids will have somebody else that they look up to. Just from Thor's story, the way it's been structured. Unless you're Bart Simpson. While he might, yeah. Uh, while Zeus would have been like that outside hero he looked to, his father was very much his hero, and his father very much failed him. And so you're kind of, to do that with Zeus, you're kind of repeating that beat with a character that we've never seen before, never heard before. And if you wanted to carry that same kind of weight from seeing it with his actual dad that we see, we had seen it with three movies before. I think that's asking for failure. And I think so if that was the goal, I think that that was a failure that they, they, they set upon from the jump with that idea. If that's the way they wanted to go. Well, I think that Odin more, more so has been portrayed as having failed Loki. And that's more of the route that they've taken with that is that, you know, Odin didn't do any favors to Loki and he didn't do any favors to his civilization by not owning up to the atrocities <laughs> that, that he did to obtain the nine realms. Like they've not made Odin a perfect, a perfect person, but they haven't really explicitly drawn that parallel to the way that he has affected Thor. They've driven that parallel as how he has failed Loki. And so that's why I don't think it would have been as resonant. And also the way that Taika handles, uh, uh, the, the way that Taika handles Odin's, uh, in, uh, Ragnarok is basically to make him an apologetic, like, old dude. Like, hey, um, I screwed up. I've been holding her at bay. Uh, my sins are about to come forth, my sons. I am sorry. I'm going to now leave for Valhalla. <laughs> so. You know, I, I don't I think that it's an audience proxy thing to use to use Zeus. And I think that it works on that level and it, it serves that purpose. Now, could it have been shorter? Yes. But honestly, the place I'm cutting, if I'm cutting anything out of this movie or cutting down anything out of this movie, it is going to be the um, the play. The play is too long. Like the play is a DVD extra in and of itself. I don't, I do, did not need the play to go on that long. So if I, if I'm going to cut anything, I'd rather spend less time with the, in new, in new, uh, Asgard with the, uh, with the play than I would the, uh, I'm not being city. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Cause I mean, they're using the play as the same devices they use for, in Ragnarok. However, in Ragnarok, um, while it is still humorous, it does serve the purpose of um, exposing Loki. Here is just retelling the 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 death of Odin. However, I guess it does have some usefulness in the fact that it's it's setting up uh, the fate of Mjolnir. If people don't remember that, uh, but 
it, like to your point, it didn't have to be that long uh, because we we started it from. You could have just had Daryl do what Thor. he does. Well, yeah, well, because I mean, they play that whole scene from Ragnarok from the point Thor and Loki show up to Odin. They pretty much play that whole scene. You didn't need to do all of that. You could have just been like, you could have done the part of Odin turned to dust, Hela showing up, destroying the hammer, uh, which those are some, uh, they repri- They had Sam Neill and um, um, Matt Damon reprise their roles for those cameos. I did not see uh, Melissa McCarthy showing up. I was actually surprised, pleasantly surprised by that. Uh, so just to hand out those, uh, Melissa, Melissa McCartney for, playing Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, yeah, and uh, and that was one of the Hemsworth boys playing Thor, right? It was. Yeah, uh, yay to him. But uh, yeah, they could have just show Hella breaking the, the, the hammer, and I don't think we needed the. I don't think we need to see them show back up asking to do another play. That didn't go anywhere. Yes. So, didn't go anywhere I, I yet. I'm, I mean, if it's, if it's only going as far as the next movie, then we didn't need them showing back up in this well, movie. Maybe they just were on set and they were like, hey, we've got these really famous people on set. Let's use them again. Uh, I mean, the line does get a, I mean, the line I, does get a laugh. I mean, I guess if but if you're going to do that, then. Like at least put an end credit scene in. It's like at least showing us show showing us them like preparing whatever they want for the play just to get a laugh out of it. I don't think I don't think that the line pays off anywhere in this movie. That I would agree with. Um, so Chad, let's talk about the fact that every famous actor in this movie has their children in this movie. Your thoughts on the children in the cages of of uh, of the Shadow Realm? And can I say how how amazingly traumatic it still is to see film of children in cages and the fact that we've so moved on from kids in cages in 2018? I mean, man, it's such like it's such a sad sight because it literally is children in cages. And it it took a while for me to, to hit me like, oh, yeah, that's right. We actually really literally had that. And maybe still have that. I don't actually know. Um, which says everything you need to know about the state of, you know, politics in this country. But uh, I mean, once you get that image, you, it's clear to see that that's exactly what they were going for. I actually liked the stuff with the kids, um, particularly the end, but leading up to it, uh, using the the son of um, Hemdow to like relay the message and every time Thor had to go and talk to them uh, while there was comedy, it was mostly played on the back end. Like when he would go back, but he's really trying to, it really shows him trying to keep the kids calm and being kind of nurturing, which I think is setting up what ultimately happens at the end for Thor. Uh, But the, the thing when, uh, when, when Gore talks to them, that's what really solidified Bale's gore as like if they would have given this to anyone else, he had the risk. He gore ran the risk of being like Malekith because he doesn't show. He's not in the movie a whole lot, but because it's Christian Bale and he's so good, uh, that scene like solidified. Okay, even with whatever time Gore has, Gore is a great villain. That that banter with the kids and like. This was fine a second ago and lets the head roll off into the audience with them after he janked it off and them freaking out. It was, you know, it's it instills the right kind of terror. Like you feel afraid for the kids, not so afraid that you're like dreading everything, but you you get the actual menace he is to the kids. And I thought that was like great storytelling with him and those kids. And then the end when Thor temporarily gives them the power of Thor and they're all fighting the army of darkness after he's given this rousing pep talk to, to motivate them to defend themselves so they can get home. I think they did a really good job with that, with those kids. Cause it gives you that feeling like when I'm watching, I'm like, 
I kind of got going for the kids and mm-hmm. and and their their bravery in this instance it, when when they they should be scared, but they have to realize that the only way to get home is to be brave. And our hero is telling us to be brave. So we're going to be brave and we're going to do what we got to do to get home. So I didn't expect the kids um, plot line when it was introduced. I kind of didn't like it because it's like another th- this. Oh, so this is the reason they have to go do some things. But everything with the kids themselves, I think they did a great job. And, and those kids were and the way they empower those kids in the end. I think that was the right move. And the movie did right by those kids. And I like that, you know, him dials kid is learning his powers and learning how to use his magic eyes and all the things I like the ending where you're talking about the, the kids of Asgard now taking self-defense classes. Um, I like the fact that lady Sif survived with her on one arm. Um, I also like the fact that like they, they empowered the kids for limited time only. Um, but mm-hmm. they, they empowered the kids and that all of the stars kids got screen time. That was awesome. Um, and, you know, the the thing with Gore in the story time felt very much to me like, uh, you know, a certain individual's Firefly, Firefly Funhouse of fun. Uh, it had very much a Bray Wyatt type creepy feel to it and i think it's the perfect lead-in to the shadow world stuff that they do um where color is drained from the world outside of the powers i love taika playing with the grading of black and white i thought he did a really fantastic job with it and you know for a guy who's known for like bright color palettes for him to have the sensibility to pull off a black and white you know a good 15 minutes of black and white footage is is really spectacular but like in the hands of anybody else, it becomes Malekith. In the hands of Christian Bale, it becomes one of the most unique performances in any Marvel movie. And mm-hmm. I think that's I don't think there's very many actors who could have pulled off those extremes of the first 10 minutes and then the story time. I think that there's actors who could do one or the other, but I don't think there are a lot of actors who could do both and still nail that ending. And Bale was one of them. And I'm glad that he decided to not only get into this, but do it full, full floodingly and wholeheartedly. And this is my plea, my absolute plea to Marvel. The rumors of Al Pacino taking a meeting with you guys. Like, if that was true, please get this man in front of the camera in a Marvel movie as soon as possible before he dies. Thank you very much. I need this in my life. <laughs> Oh, those rumors will never go away until it either happens or he's unfortunately no longer or, with us. Or Mephisto right is cast as somebody else. Yeah, but then they're going to want him to be somebody else. So it'll be interesting. Um, so, Chad, what did you make of the Mighty Thor? Because, like, to me, I remember Comic-Con 2019 when they rushed when they brought Natalie Portman out and, and Tyka kneeled and, and presented her with a hammer and they announced that what they were doing. I remember thinking, why, why would she sign up for this? She's been gone from it for so long. Like she doesn't need it. Um, what's, what's the draw here? And having seen the film, I think we can now safely say that it was two things. One, it was the fact that her kids would get to be in the movie, which would mean they'd be on set with her all, all the time. And get a taste of what mommy does for a living, right? And two, it was the juiciness of the role. It was Natalie Portman playing a cancer patient. The woman who has done that more than once in her career and has an Oscar. And multiple nominations. You know, say what you want to about her portrayal of Padme Aladama. And I found it hilarious, the little uh, joke that got put... Like, Taika jokes about asking... Natalie Portman to be in a Star Wars movie and then realize, not realizing she'd already been in one. He quips about that jokingly and people pick it up and run with it on the internet. But like, say what you want to about Padme Aladama. Natalie Portman is a, a stunning and amazing actress. And when you give a stunning and amazing dramatic actress a role like that, where they can play dying cancer victim or dying cancer patient, 
I can see why she signed up for this movie in a heartbeat. Yeah, that this is the most like this is clearly this is the most Jane has had to do. Uh, I I think Jane was, you know, portrayed adequately, probably more than adequately in the first film. The second film, not so much. And, you know, all the the rumors of the behind the scenes stuff with uh, firing Patty Jenkins and all and how she was replaced and all those things kind of soured. It's the rumors that it soured Natalie Portman on the road. But yeah, with this one, she clearly has way more to do. And, and she gets to go the range of um, big badass superhero to woman with only days left to live and, and the frailty that comes from that. And I, I think that has to be appealing to somebody like Portman. And I think giving her those things to do in this movie is a benefit to this movie because she is a great actress and you can tell that she's, it, it seems like she's more into it this time. It seems like she's having more fun uh, with the role and with the movie, with the movie at large. And I thought that the mighty Thor um, was really good from the things we got of her. And not even just really good. She was great. She, she's probably the second best part, best thing about this movie for me uh, after, after Gore. So I was pleasant. I was pleasantly not surprised, but I was pleasantly satisfied watching Natalie Portman as the mighty Thor. My only, my only downside is the fact that, you know, she quote unquote dies, uh, which, you know, people can speculate because we saw her go to Valhalla and, and, you know, who really dies yeah, in that, these things. And, and, and we've heard that conversation with both Korg and, um, well, at, at least with Korg and Valkyrie that the fake out death, um, thing. And that's a, that's going to be a, you know, Grit our teeth and bear it. Thank peace thing on all of our our movie websites for the next week is Marvel and their death problem, because we're going to bring that up back up again. But like to me, my reading of that post credit sequence was a Natalie Portman. Welcome to the Marvel Hall of Fame. We thank you for your we thank you for your time and coming back to do this for us. We appreciate it. Like it was it was literally just. My, you know, Jane Foster made it. Hemdel made it. We assume Sif's arm made it. Like <laughs> they're resting in Valhalla. Like it, it was, it was like a retirement thing for me. It was an acknowledgement of all the characters done, and and I that's how I read that post credit sting. I didn't read it as, hey, she's still floating around somewhere and could be reincarnated. So that's how I read it too. I thought this was a. Uh send off for her and for Idris um, and, and for Idris who who is the only other actor that has been in all of the Thor movies just to point that out uh, it's only him and Hemsworth uh, that's how I saw it but a lot of people are like you know since we saw Valhalla this, you know maybe maybe there there's a way to get to them and these people can come back but I'm like no this was the end this was this should have been the end for Jane she had she had a, a a very human and relatable illness that took her that that was affecting her, and even though she pro- she may have had a chance to live it out, she chose to go out a hero, and she's been a hero through this entire thing. And this was, I think, this was a good way to send her off. And I think that's the end for her. As I think that's the end of Jane Foster. I think that's the end. Of him though, uh, and and it should be. This is a good way to cap it off. Hey, you're never gonna get me complaining about one of the ladies of Marvel who've been missing for years showing up in armor. You're never gonna get me complaining about that. Oh boy, oh boy. I'm not. I'm not. Nope. I'm not pulling that thread. There, there, there is an Ironheart series coming, it. which could lead to Pepper Potts reprise. You know, Gwyneth Paltrow reprising her role as Pepper Potts, even though she forgets how many appearances she's made. Yeah, honestly, if I was thinking about this the other day, if there is a place for her to come back, I think it's more likely that she will come back in Armor Wars as opposed to. Well, because, uh, yeah, Iron because Heart. the roadie thing. Yeah, 
Well, the the whole thing uh, Armor Wars is the misuse of Stark Tech. So, you know, she's as far as I know, she's still CEO. So, Chad, um, what do you make of the ending? Um, Gore ends up bringing back his daughter, which people, you know, it doesn't seem like that enters his mind as what he can do with his with his wish for eternity until Hemsworth brings it up or Thor brings it up. But like, you know, he brings back his daughter and then his daughter gets adopted by Thor. Your thoughts on adoptive daddy Thor? Oh, I look not to not Gore because uh, I was right there with him through the whole thing. I never once thought, hey, you can bring your daughter back. As I sit there watching the movie with my daughter right next to me, never crossed my mind. It's like he's going to kill all the guys. That's what he wants. So, you know, he's excused for being a little one track. As zealots uh, tend to be. I thought, yeah, um, I thought it was interesting and it was completely out of the blue for me that we would get Daddy Thor. Uh, I think I think Thor has been a dad in the comics. I'm not sure because I haven't read a whole lot of Thor it's been years. Uh, but for the, the actual subtitle of this movie to actually be like the last thing we actually love and thunder doesn't refer to Thor and Jane and the Thor relationship and all that kind of stuff. It's about the little girl and her new dad, uh, who, who is Thor. I, I liked it because I didn't, I didn't expect it. It's going to be, it's going to be something new for Thor. It should be something new for Thor. It's not anything I ever thought I would see. And it's a way Thor. for Hemsworth to keep his daughter and, around. Well, that's, that was not his daughter. Ah. That's Tyka's daughter, I think. So uh, I'm pretty sure she's Tyka's daughter. But Hemsworth's kids were in there, and too. And so was Bale's, and, and so was uh, Portman's. It's the, yeah, all of their kids got to be involved. And apparently all of the Shadow Monsters, uh, they were pretty much designed by the kids. Like, Tyka was trying to... Taika was talking about it with his daughter. Is like, got to figure out what it looks like. And she drew something. And then they opened up to all the kids. So all of those designs were based on the kids. So the kids were really involved in all that. But, uh, yeah, I think it was... I'm intrigued to see what they're going to do with Daddy Thor. Uh, because it's it, it's completely wide open. And you can do so many different things. And apparently he's coming back. So we'll get to see what that I is. I mean, it's going to be, uh, what you would say, 850, 900? By the time it's all said and done, uh, I mean, I mean, looking uh, at looking at the box office, yeah, it's probably eight, about eight between eight and eight fifty. Which, I mean, considering that the summer they're releasing it in July, where it's a little bit busier than it was in May, right? So, I mean, yes. I think that those are all good signs. And Hemsworth has been very honest about the fact that he's unlike Downey and Evans, like truly ready to keep. Um, to keep going as long as as long as they want him so um i think the quote was i'll always answer the phone so like clearly taika said that he's down for another one so i think it'll be interesting um where did we go from here because i think that the post credit sting very much uh a, very much lays out the possibility of war war with the gods yeah i think that is definitely the the place we're going next which I guess we're going to jump right into that. Um, Which would be another reason why you need uh, Unmet Demon City. Yeah. The, yes. And no. But yes. Uh, but after, right after I saw this, the, the first thing I tweeted was, there was one thing I knew that they were going to do with this movie, and they did it. I just did, They just didn't do it. It didn't look like I thought it was going to look. And that was Hercules. When you say you're bringing in Zeus... Into Marvel, then that means all the, if you don't think they're going to bring in Hercules at that point, you just haven't been paying attention. So, knowing that Zeus is there, I knew we'd see Hercules. I was pretty sure Hercules would be in the the credit, uh, the tease, the teaser, or at least show. I, I knew he was going to show up at some point. I did not expect it to be Brett Goldstein from uh, who is Roy Kent in um, Ted Lasso. When I saw him, I was completely shocked. Uh, there was a tinge of disappointment, but I was excited to see. I, but I was overall excited for the character and for him uh, to to be that role. My sadness came in because I'm petty, and I'm still waiting on Marvel to cast Henry Cavill in the role 
just to, to spite all the DC people. And I thought Hercules would have been a good one, uh, particularly with the whole Russell Crowe as Zeus and Russell Crowe as Jor-El thing. Uh, so that was my my petty imagination going in overdrive. But overall, I'm good with Brett Goldstein. And you know, and the way this move, the way this scene ends, it looks like Hercules has got a uh, Zeus has pretty much put a hit out on on Thor. And Hercules is going to carry that out. So it seems like that will be the, the, the way to go for the next Thor movie. But maybe we see something happen before then. Well, I think that that's very much a Thor-centric story. And that's a, a Thor-centric plot uh, to, go, to go by. So I would expect that to be, you know, Thor and the God, the War for the Gods or something to be the subtitle. But I think that's definitely something Taika would be interested in doing is... Imagine a Taika Mount Olympus. Yeah, that's that's yeah, kind that's of a something lot. that's going to be unique to, to to commit to film. Okay, well, I might as well get into this now. Um, with the, I think it's fair to say that the reaction to this has been mixed. With the mixed reaction, and depending on what the box office says. Do you think oh, they bring Taika back? 850 million, you bring Taika back. 850, you bring Taika back. And I don't think Hemsworth does it without Taika. That's the thing. Like, I think those two are, are tied at the hip. Like, I don't think he's going back through another director change. Um, you can put the, the Marvel Parliament can, can put some quietus on, on things, but like, they don't seem at this particular moment to be all about inhibiting their filmmakers. Um, honestly, for me, the thing that hurt this movie more than anything was one, it was a crowded summer. You put it in the, in the July where it had a little bit more competition than Dr. Strange had in May. And two, um, the marketing was truncated. Like you didn't start marketing for this movie until the beginning of the Eastern conference finals in the middle of the, in the middle toward the end of May for a July release. You gave it like a, a six to eight week media campaign, a public, a, pub, a publicity campaign. So to me, that also hurt it a little bit. Um, those things are also going to be interesting factors in, uh, uh, Wakanda Forever, which is going to get a trailer, I'm assuming, in comic, at Comic Con in two weeks. But also, like, we now have leaked concept art footage that it is for sure going to be Atlantis versus Wakanda. And, like, you have to start that marketing campaign now because people don't even know that that's a thing outside of, like, a very plain poster, a very plain one sheet with Black, you know, Welcome to Wakanda and Black Panther type on it um, outside of your local cinema. So, like, they really need to, I think, up the publicity game for Welcome to Wakanda starting in two weeks. But, like, I think the truncated publicity period for Thor Love and Thunder also hurt them. Yeah, Wakanda Forever is like so. Everything about this is going to be interesting to me. Uh, I so let 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 me ask you this, Jeb, before you get going. Do you think Ryan was doing Neymar versus T'Challa from the get, or do you think they did? They brought the Atlantis aspect of it in after Chadwick was gone. I think Atlantis was in there from the jump. Yes. Proceed. Um, and I, and I, I say that just because they still, the window between, uh, Chadwick dying and them starting the movie, I don't think they could change. I don't think it was scrap like antagonists and all of that. Uh, they just had to change. I mean, not just have to change, but they have to change the protect. They have to change the protagonists and all of the motivations around that. But I think they would leave like the central conflict the same. Um, as far as what like what kind of forever being interesting, um, oh what a lot of the things I've been hearing over the weekend, I think uh, about Marvel and how they're falling off and all this other stuff. I think a lot of that has to do with we got a lot of Marvel content in a short period of time, basically because of COVID. COVID delayed everything, and then pretty much from WandaVision. You know, we've gotten TV shows consistently. WandaVision was January 2020. Yes. And then we got 
what four four shows straight in a row after that, uh, and then Shang Chi at the end, like towards the end of that, and then Eternals right after that, and then there's a there's a break between Eternals, but then we got I think there's another show that popped up between Eternals and What If Doctor Strange. Yeah. Oh yeah, we had Hawkeye. We had Hawkeye. So everything's been piling right right on top of each other. And I know for the shows, that's somewhat by design. But for the movies, it's all been because COVID happened. Everything well, had that, to be condensed And also, they, when short, they announced that slate in, in 19, it was originally supposed to be three movies a year. And if you're doing a three movies per year model, that means first quarter, you know, like February, like February to April, somewhere in there, you have a February to May, you have a movie. And then July, you have a movie. July to August, you have a movie. And then November to December, you have a movie. So, like, if you're going to do a three-movie-a-year release strategy, which was not their original model, right? Their original model was a a one-a-year or two-a-year movie. Like, 2016 was the first movie, uh, first year in a while with two. And then we went to three, starting in 2018. So, like... If you're going to hold to that three movie a year pattern, the only way to do it is February, July, November. Yeah. And they announced that three movie pattern. It was before they started. They announced that yeah, Disney, Disney Plus was Plus not shows. a thing when they, and when they started the, the, the three movie a year, three movie a year thing. Yeah. And I, I bet if they had to do it over again, it would they would do all the Disney Plus shows and one less movie a year. But even with that. So let's see. So. From last July, we got Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, Spider-Man, uh, Doctor Strange, Thor. That's So that's six movies in an actual calendar year. In a, in a regular year, we would get those six movies, but it, like you said, it would be spread out over all these quarters. And... I'm pretty sure all of those movies I just named, they all were supposed to come out within the calendar year. It would have been more like a year and a half. So it was it was so it was we've compressed. And the only reason I know this again is because I've watched that 19 panel so many times. But it was originally supposed to be Black Widow in May of 2020. It was supposed to be uh, Eternals in November of 2020. And then it was supposed to be. Uh, Shang-Chi in February of 21. And then it was supposed to be uh, um, oh, uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness in July of 21. And then Thor mm-hmm. Love and Thunder was supposed to be November of 21. And that was all the movies they announced. They, obviously, Sony being its own thing, they didn't have a Spider-Man movie to announce. Although we all knew one was coming. Um, but those were the six movies that they announced. They also announced the six TV series. When, uh, WandaVision, which was just listed as fall 2020. Um, uh, and then Winter Soldier was spring 21. Loki was spring, was summer 21. And then Hawkeye was fall 21, which they pretty much stuck with. Um, and then, uh, that and then what if was slated for summer 21 as well and so that's that's what happened that's what that was the original intention yeah so yeah so everything in 2020 basically 2020 and 2021 yeah, got condensed together. into this re- yeah this really tight window and i think because it's all running together like that it's caused like this like for the first time i've like seen like the cracks in people's like faith in Marvel, but I, I with, I think Wakanda Forever has first is has a chance because it's the first one coming out after Thor, but it's not coming out for another five months to give uh, people to breathe off the movies. I think we'll get She Hulk in August, no, but we we'll won't. still have some time because you get She Hulk in August, and then you get I Am Groot and Marvel Zombies, and then you get. Uh, and then you get uh the Christmas special. So, I am, I am Groot and zombies. I don't think it'll still fall. I don't think it'll feel like the actual like live action shows. I think I don't even know how long I am Groot is. I think they're shorts. So if they're shorts, it's the equivalent of like 
a Looney Tunes cartoon. I don't think people will think see them in the same way. Marvel Zombies, there'll be enough people that don't even pay attention to that because it's going to be animated and they don't care. So it's it's different if it were like so she, like She Hulk and like Echo and let's say I'm just throwing another one like Hawkeye because I can't think of anything else. Yeah, if if you if had, those three if things had, came like, out. If you had She-Hulk coming out, and then you had Echo coming out, and then you had um, Daredevil season five coming out, yeah, yeah, I think that I think that would feel different for people. So with that kind of break, and then uh, what kind of forever comes out, it, I think if it's good, I think people be like, okay, we were tripping on some things, um, just because they they would have gotten a chance to kind of like miss Marvel. A, l- a little bit but then the other like part of the on the other side of the gripes i've heard is like people keep talking about how marvel feels like they're rudderless and don't have a plan which is amazing to me because most of these people have been like marvel is too close-knit and everything connects and all this other stuff and all of these movies that we've had they've all been self-contained stories that aren't really building to anything and that's what people have said they wanted. And we've had movies that have different styles and feel look and feel different. And that's what people have said they wanted. And they're knocking Marvel for that too. All the while they're still they're knocking them at the same time for feeling samey and following the formula. And I don't understand how you can criticize them for doing all of that at once when half of it is stuff that you've wanted. They give it to you, you don't like it. But then you still attack them for being cookie cutter and stuff. So I, I just think it's the 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 saturation of Marvel at this particular point that's causing that. And some time away to get ready for Wakanda Forever will probably alleviate some of that uh that stress. I would I would tend to agree. Um and you saw the thing about the effects houses, every every major Studio deals with those issues with effects houses like effects houses will pop up and then fold immediately after working on certain movies. So, yeah, but that's 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 an issue with every studio. But I think it's also the issue of the studios like abusing effects houses. Um, And I think effects houses need apparently they're not unionized. So I think they need to be unionized the same way. Um everyone else in the studio system is to not be abused so they don't have effects houses going out of business for uh, trying to accomplish these jobs last minute. Indeed. So, are you excited for no- Neymar the Submariner based off of his one hinted line of dialogue? His one hint at being existing in the game? Um, <laughs> I am. Um, mostly because, well, one, um, if you don't know anything about Neymar, Neymar is a jerk. He is an absolute asshole. And I just started reading uh, an Avengers, the Avengers run from Jonathan Hickman. He's like a really well-known Avengers writer. Uh, actually, he's done most of Marvel at this point. And a lot of the th- and, uh, the the children of Thanos, he created those. Uh, so they've pulled a lot of his iconography for some of these movies so far. And in this run that I'm reading now, Namor is in it, and he is an ass. Like him and uh I think the the Wakanda and Atlantis War is going on right now in the run that I'm reading. And T'Challa and Namor are in a place where they have to be uh where they're aligned. And they're out. They're doing this outside of the parameters of their country, and so child is pretty much like, "Look, we doing this, but as soon as this is over, and whenever you get a chance, I'm gonna kill you because you are, you are an ass." So, I'm I'm intrigued to see how they're gonna, how they're gonna represent him on the screen, and if he's really gonna be that much. I mean, he is, and when I say an ass, he is an ass. But I'm also excited because of the the uh, the cultural history they're giving Atlantis and making it uh, more. Uh, it seems to be more infused with uh, 
Latino history and it seems to be South American history and how they're going to convey that and why would this place that's supposed that seems to be in South America have such an issue with Wakanda. Uh, so I, I am excited about all that. I want to see it all in motion because as of right now, all I've seen is that one picture of concept art of Namor. I haven't seen anything else and I'm kind of trying to keep it that you way. You heard now. it here folks. Ch- first folks, Chad Metz is extremely excited about Wakanda, the way of water. Don't do that. Don't do that. That is not what this is. All Don't right, do that. Folks, that'll about do it for this week's podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger fan. I am at the Mets theory. And before we go, Chad, you want to talk to the people about some of the interesting ideas that we're bounding about uh, for the future of the podcast? Uh, yeah, we we're we're um, talking about things like um, pay, uh, doing starting a Patreon and uh, having a couple of different tiers. We're still we're still um, workshopping what tier is going to have what, but there there is one idea that I think is going to stay uh, in some form or fashion where we actually watch a movie and and talk about the history and production and all those kind of things. I think that'll be something fun for us to do and something fun for people that would like that kind of thing to actually listen to. Um, and a few other things, but uh, yeah, we're just kind of workshopping it right now and hopefully real soon we'll be telling you more about it. Yes, be on the lookout for new and exciting news about ways you can help support the Movies on the Brain podcast and uh, help us grow as we continue on this journey of talking movie about the weird, wild, and wacky week of the world of genre movie news with you. So be on the lookout for that information, and we'll talk to you again next week.